Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. We've been talking about it's time for the church to wake up. Church has been asleep too long. The world's upside down because we have determined that in the most volatile conditions, we should shut our mouth. We've abdicated our responsibility to be the voice of reason within our community. I talked to you last week, and I told you something very simple, or it might have been the week before that, that in regard to abortion, I was listening to an abortion debate, and in regard to abortion, this guy that's pro-life said this. He said, every abortion center in America should have a sign in front of it. And that sign should read, open by permission of the local church. And man, that cuts me to the quick. Because the fact of the matter is, if the church maintained throughout its history the voice that it once had, these kinds of things wouldn't exist. These evils in our society wouldn't exist. But we have determined to silence ourselves. Amen? Because we don't want to be confrontational. We don't want to cause problems. Well, let me tell you, the word divides. We should be people who cause problems in the dark areas. Light disrupting darkness. Darkness is never going to accept it. But that's okay. Our responsibility is to be light so that light might spread. All right. And we talked about last week. I, I did two foundational sermons. And those foundational sermons were about how to approach culture was the first one in regards to Paul and the way he approached culture in Acts 17. And then last week I told you that I was going to make arguments from this point forward for the next four weeks from the Word. And so I needed to prove to you last week one truth. And that that's the Word is the objective, not subjective truth which means it's absolute truth. And I think I proved that to you. If I haven't proven that to you, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. I proved that through medical science. I proved that through geology. Um, I proved that through, well, internally and externally, just about every way I could think to in the confines of the time that I had. Now, if you have any other questions about that, I've got about four or five pages of evidences, internal and external, I can send you. I need you, listen, the only reason I'm doing this whole series is so that you can open your mouth. And so I need you to be in a place where you can argue the truthfulness of the Word of God so you can make your arguments from the Word of God. Because the first thing that we hear when we start talking to people about the Word is, man, that's just an old book written by some old men. No, it's not. It's an old book written by some old men inspired by the Spirit of God. And we know because we've proven it last week that it's objective truth, not subjective. It's not subjective to your emotion. It's not subjective to your opinion. It's not subject to your feelings. Well, I don't like that. I don't care if you like it. Fact of the matter is, God doesn't care if you like it. If you're calling yourself saved, you had to declare Him as Lord And declaring Him as Lord means that you are subservient to His command, which is the Word of God. Amen? I told myself I wasn't going to get loud today, but I might. But I want to give you you the ability to articulate the hope that is in you, the truths that are in the Word of God. And so I encourage you to take notes. 
having built those two foundational sermons to get to this point, I'm going to approach one of, or actually I'm going to approach four things that the church should have never stopped being silent about. The first one today will be sex and marriage. And I'm going to have a very pointed conversation with you about sex. And we're going to talk about it in a way that may be uncomfortable to you. And so I told you, if you didn't want your children here, if you didn't want to have this conversation with them after church, then don't have them in here. But I'm assuming you're willing to or already have had those conversations. And so praise God for that. But I need you to understand we're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about the fact that all life is sacred. All life is sacred. The week after that, Angela and I are going to do the first thing, first time we've ever done this. She's going to take half the sermon. I'm going to take half the sermon, and I'm going to talk about what masculinity should look like in the confines of Scripture. She's going to talk about what femininity should look like within the confines of Scripture. Amen? And then finally, we're going to end with proving to you and declaring to you the truthfulness that hell is real, but God didn't create it for us. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So that's where we're going. I need y'all to be as loud as Brother Casper over here. Somebody's excited to be in the house today. What am I talking about today? I'm talking about sex and marriage. That according to the Word of God, God's plan for sex and marriage is defined, designed, and displayed by His Word. And I'm going to prove that to you today in Scripture. That's my hope anyway. Here we are. We as a society have determined to manipulate the word in regard to this subject and many others. To the point that, <coughs> to the point that we have even started allowing in the big C church ministers to be ordained who are outside the biblical qualifications for sexual relationships. And it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing that represses the voice of the true word. When I go now and say that's not right, I don't have to just push through society to get there. I have to push through some churches to get there. But you know what? We should be willing to push through whatever it is we're pushing through. They're all, Pastor Jim, that's hate speech. That's going to get you put in prison. I'll be talking hate speech in prison. If the truth of the Word of God is hate speech, then put me in prison. This should be every one of us. This should be our conviction. And so we have determined, when I say we, I mean society and the large or big C church who's afraid to have these conversations, has determined that sex outside of marriage is okay. We've determined through this to be destructive to the church, to society, and ultimately the nuclear family. And when you destroy the nuclear family the way God designed it, you destroy everything. When a man doesn't take responsibility as a man, when a woman doesn't take responsibility as a woman, both of them come together and raise children according to the Word of God, there is destruction that is inevitable in our society. The, the horrible thing is, is that the biblical conservative has been planting flowers their whole life, where the liberal, the person who's willing to take the Word and massage it to say whatever he says, has been planting trees. What do I mean? Every season, you have to plant flowers. They're going to die. you got to plant them again. 
those who were willing to manipulate the word understood I got to plant a tree. And they started planting trees in my mother's generation. And they started manipulating the school system. And they started manipulating the government. They started manipulating society because they realized generational change impacts the next generation. We have, for whatever reason, failed to understand that. We've said, we can lose Christianity in one generation. That's because we're planting flowers, not trees. It's time for us to start planting trees. And you can't plant trees if your feet aren't established established and rooted in Christ Jesus according to His Word. All right. Woo! Come on, people. Our lies, our lies in regard to sex have given birth to every kind of sexual perversity. And it's killing us. Philippians 3.19 says this, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame. They will see destruction. Those people will see destruction. Those whose God is their appetite, those who worship at the plate of their own fulfillment. That's what he's saying there. Whatever it is you put on your plate and you worship that, and I'm not talking about just food, whatever it is you're consuming, you've allowed your belly to be your God. And in allowing your belly to be your God, those things that should shame us stopped shaming us. Five generations ago, you'd have had children out of wedlock. You'd be ashamed that you had children out of wedlock. Now, I'm not, I have no stones to throw. I'm just telling you the truth of the Word of God. There's a good ending to all of this and that there is grace for those that have made a mistake, for those that have reacted and lived contrary to the word of God. But the truth comes first because we must understand how deviant we are, how unnecessarily we've been given grace, although God determined to give it to us so that we can understand the beauty and taste the sweetness of the grace that we've been given. That's so good. And people say, how do I fall into sexual sin? You fall into sexual sin like you fall into every other sin. One little bit at a time. This verse, James 1, 14 and 15, shows this progression of sin. For each one is tempted when he is carried away, enticed by his own lust. That means he dwells upon this thought. His thought isn't a sin. If I have a thought and I capture it and I release it, that's not a sin. Stuff pops into our head all the time. Sadly, many of our experiences are experiences from disobedience. And so our thoughts pop up in regard to how we used to be disobedient. It's how we're tempted. But you know what? Temptation can be squashed by the Word of God and by a dismissal of that thought. But when we linger on that thought, when it's dwelt upon, it becomes lust. And it says, then when lust has conceived, which means taken action against, it gives birth to sin. But not just birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death, destruction. So let me explain to you how this happens. And I've seen it. Let me tell you, I, people say law enforcement is great. It, it really is, and I, I'd love to police. But there's a dark side of law enforcement like probably everything, but that's what I'm 
familiar with. There's a dark side of law enforcement that you see all the time. It's two guys or a guy and a girl will start talking, and they're just hanging out in a patrol room. And it doesn't seem like that big a deal. And they're just cutting up. And then cutting up turns into colorful cutting up. And then colorful cutting up turns into, hey, let's meet for lunch and have some coffee. I mean, we're just working together. We're in patrol cars anyway. And so they meet up. They have lunch. Lunch turns into a meeting after, after service or after work. A meeting after work eventually turns into a relationship. And then we sit there with our hands open, having lost everything we had. And we all, how did I end up here? Let me tell you how you ended up here. Your thought became lust as you dwelt upon it. And your lust went to action. And in action, you found destruction. This is not just the progression of sexual sin. This is the progression of all sin. You have never committed, and I feel confident saying this, you have never committed a sin ever that you didn't think about first. There's no action your body is capable of making without first engaging your brain. If I'm going to walk from me to the back of the wall, I have to make a decision to walk there. we got to start harboring our decisions and conforming them, transforming them according to the Word of God. Amen? All right. So let's talk about how, to, how we do that. I told you it's time the church deals with this problem. But I'm going to tell you, we need to deal with the church first. Which is why I'm talking to you. It's the reason why I'm not on the street corner. And I'm going to tell you three points, and I've already given them to you, but one, sexuality is defined by God. The world says sexuality is defined through biology, elective gender identity, sexual orientation, all of these perversities. But it's not true. God defines what sex should look like. We have a innate sexual desire placed in us. Would you agree with that? Would anybody disagree with that? There's, there's, from the time that I can remember, there's this sexual desire that's just been innate in me. And so that causes us to think because I'm a sexual creature, I should be able to have sex in regard to how I define it. But that's not true because God defines it and you don't belong to yourself. The only thing that we do when we determine to define it is place ourselves in the center of it. Because left to themselves, every person will find a way to take whatever they're involved in and make it self-serving. Sex is not intended to be self-serving. It is intended to be pleasurable. God made it pleasurable. He created the anatomy of man and woman that sex would be pleasurable, but it's not its purpose. Not its primary purpose anyway. Its primary purpose is to bind two people together to cause them to serve one another, to set themselves aside and place the other in the center of this action. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to serve or to be served, but to serve. This is true in every aspect of our lives, including our sex life. We shouldn't be 
just what makes me happy. I have to release myself, according to 1 Corinthians, to my wife. My wife has to release herself to me. We don't have rights over our own sexuality. Now, I could get in there and I could probably drizzle some seasoning on that, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Read the Word. Be convicted by it. So what does it look like? What does defined sexuality look like? First, let me tell you, sex, period. And this is going to hurt y'all's feelings, some of y'all, but it's okay. Sex is only acceptable within the boundaries of Scripture. What are those boundaries? Genesis 127 says, God created man and woman. It specifically says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So God intentionally made how many genders? Two. If you have any question about what gender you are, when you go home, go to the bathroom and check. It'll be pretty obvious. <laughs> Not going to get in there. Now, what's that? God created man and woman, according to 127. And then God created man and woman to be unified in marriage in regard to sexuality. Listen to this. Matthew 19, 4 and 5. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two, listen to this, this is a literal statement, will become one flesh. God created man and woman that they might be one flesh. We become one flesh through the act of sex in marriage. Everybody okay? I see a couple of y'all going off. Man, he said sex a bunch today. It's time the church addresses these things. Get blushy today. Get right today. So let me tell you why, secondly, why God defines the marriage the way he does. Because when the two become one, it's a monogamous, permanent, committed covenant. Everybody say covenant. Between two people. I'm going to tell you, let me, let me talk you through that. In the Old Testament, a covenant was made and blood was shed to ratify that covenant, to bring that covenant together. Would you agree with that? Everybody would agree with that. In the New Testament, a covenant was made and blood was shed. Would you agree with that? That blood, of course, was the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you will look across the landscape of the New Testament and the Old Testament and how covenants were made and how the shedding of blood occurred to seal or ratify that covenant, let's talk about sex and marriage. Why it's so necessary that we start teaching our children purity in regard to sexuality. Because when a man lays down with a woman 
after having made a covenant with her to watch over her, to protect her, to keep her all the days of her life, just as God through Christ Jesus has done for us. When he lays down and becomes one flesh with her, the hymen is broken. The hymen exists, has no biological purpose, according to science, except that it's broken in the moment of intercourse. That shedding of blood ratifies the covenant between man and woman. It seals that covenant. Man, do you understand how big a deal that is? We have to start teaching. I didn't get it right. But can I tell you, you want to know why you're not finding joy, why you're not finding peace, why you're not finding comfort in the relationship that you have or the relationships that you've had? Because you broke covenant and created a spiritual bond with someone that God never intended for you to be with for the sake of your own personal pleasure. Amen. And it's time we start planting trees. Amen. I'm only telling you so that you tell somebody. I consider my job a train-the-trainer job. I am training the trainers so that the trainers might go train someone else. And so the church, because of all of these things, any sexual activity outside the Word of God, which is to say outside the marriage covenant, leads to destruction. I know that's hurtful, but it is what it is. We see this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. It lists off all these sins. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see it again in Galatians chapter 5. But this, in Galatians 5, 19, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, and indecent behavior. Well, that doesn't mean much to me. Well, it should, because Romans 8, 13 says this, And we know that those who live according to the flesh will see death. And those who live by the Spirit receive life. And so if the Bible says in 519, the deeds of the flesh are evident, the deeds of death, the deeds that lead to destruction, are evident, and it lists sexual immorality as one of those evidences, then guess what? That leads to destruction. Because you're not living according to the Spirit that has been placed inside of us. Amen? I know I'm long-winded today, but this is necessary. I know some of you are going, man, you're just, you just, it doesn't make sense to me. Jesus never said that. Fact of the matter is, I, I can't think of a moment that Jesus talked about sexual immorality except for adultery. But Paul did on multiple occasions. And let me ask you, whose words are more important? If it's all written down, inspired by the Spirit of God, all of these letters should be in red. I don't care if Jesus said it or not, or if Peter said it, or James said it, or Paul said it, I don't, or if John said it. I don't care who said it. What I care is that we are obedient to it if it's to be useful for us, according to 2 Timothy 3.16. And so the church should and does condemn any type of sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage because God made it he has sovereignty over it. Because he has sovereignty over it, he controls the rules. You know, that's not fair. I don't care. 
I don't want to be ugly to you. But I don't, my consideration of what you think is fair, if it contradicts the word of God, isn't my problem. That's your problem. Because the fact of the matter is, is all of us will be judged. All of us will be judged. Where will you sit on judgment day? Now, there's reasons for sexuality. And those, those reasons are pleasure, as we've discussed, procreation, but not just the giving of new life, but the growing of the kingdom of God. Did you know right now Muslims, if they continue to, I'm going to say breed because it's just, it's, I guess it's the technical word, if they continue to breed at the rate they're breeding right now, Islam will be the predominant religion by 2050. Now I want you to think about that. What that's going to do is that's going to eliminate democracy. You want to talk about voting on November 8th, you better start having some kids. And you can't start having kids if you ain't living outside, if you ain't living according to the Word of God, if you're walking in homosexuality, if you're doing anything adverse to the Word of God, you can't raise kids in a way that will cause the kingdom to grow. Because it's my job as a dad to walk a child down the road and speak the word to him. To talk to him while he lays in his bed and speak the word to him. That's my job. And so I procreate both naturally and physically by growing both the body and the kingdom of God together. Ultimately, the greatest purpose in our sexuality is the glorification of God. In our sexuality, there is joy. There is peace. There is comfort. And as that happens within the relationship, people see that contentment in you. People see that joy in you. They may not know he's happy because he got... he, he Just to say, they right. You know what I'm saying. But they'll know that there's joy in you that they don't have. You know why? Because they're searching for joy in a different place than you found it. And that's in obedience to the Word of God. Amen? And so I'm going to end on this. Listen, not all of us get it right. I didn't get it right. I didn't get it right. I lost my virginity to somebody I wasn't married to. I slept around. I was a whoremonger. I've told you guys that. I've, I've tried to be as transparent with who I was as I've, because you deserve my transparency. But you know what? When I met my wife, when I gave my life to the Lord and I understood what a covenant relationship was, I understood grace. And grace said, you may not have got it right, but you can get it right. That if you ask for forgiveness... God will give it to you and then restore you back to righteousness. Don't walk in condemnation. Condemnation isn't for you. That's of the enemy. That's his counterfeit for conviction. What you're feeling isn't condemnation. It's conviction. You know why I know that? Because I asked, I've been asking since 5 o'clock this morning and yesterday and the day before that that the Holy Spirit convict the hearts of those who needed convicting. 
And you know the great thing about conviction? When answered, there's redemption, which means the sin that you committed no longer exists. But not just no longer exists, it's as though it never existed. And so I'm going to ask you a question. And I know this could be potentially embarrassing to you, but it's not more embarrassing than it was for me. I just told you guys I slept around. But if you haven't gotten that part of your life right, and you need to get right, listen to this. That includes even if you've gotten married and had sex before but have failed to ask forgiveness for that because that sin's still on the books. You're all, I'm married now. All that sex we had before marriage don't matter. That's still divine rebellion to God. You still need to repent over that sin. Some of y'all sitting here, I'm married. I don't need all this. If you had sex before you got married and you haven't asked forgiveness for that, just because you married that woman, you still need to ask forgiveness for that because there still hasn't been washed away by the blood yet. If that's you, regardless of your situation, I am standing here. If I was down there, I would stand. I'm going to ask you, do you need to get this right? Know that grace covers you and determine from this point forward to walk out in obedience to the Word of God in regard to this matter.